Hello, and welcome back to Season 7, Episode 4 of Cheap Seats, the podcast from the television production workshop class at Lake Royan High School, where we talk a lot about sports, but today you will see the conversation is going to be dominated by football. And boys, uh, well, let me first introduce who I am with today. I have my partner, Derek Dungan, with me today. How's it going? Mitchell Howell. How are we doing? And Blaze Lauer joining me today. How are we doing? Doing very well. And the NFL Divisional Round of Football. Now, the wild card round was very hard to act to follow because those wild card games were absolutely exciting to watch. Um, but this divisional round definitely did not disappoint. So I think you guys will see right the first topic right off the bat. The Titans, stunner against top-seeded Ravens. They pull out the victory. Uh, Rabel and the Titans come out 28-12 to with the win over the Ravens. Now, I did not see this coming. Honestly, I knew the ti uh, Titans were getting hot at the right time of the season. Um, they had a lot of great pieces, good elements of that team. But I definitely did not see them upsetting Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. What do you guys? What were your first impressions of this game and this final score? I didn't see that coming either, honestly. I thought the Ravens were trying a little too hard. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, whenever they were two and two, you know, they were trying to pass a lot because Lamar was talking about how he wanted to be a quarterback and he didn't like running. So then they like they bumped him down to like maybe 25 passes a game, but then you know in this game I think he had 59 pass attempts maybe, that is just too much. I think they got away from what they're used to doing, maybe yeah. because of, maybe they're panicking a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and it's, it definitely boils down to a couple ple uh, key plays in the game that the Ravens' offense is definitely run around this theme of misdirection and multiple weapons that can hit you from different spots, right? Lamar Jackson can hand it off to Ingram. He can throw it. He can run it. Obviously, we've seen all of those. But first of all, with Mark Ingram banged up and out of a majority of this game, that was a big hit for the Ravens' offense, and that left that there's no longer a threat for Mark Ingram. Now, obviously, they have other backs in there, but they doesn't have the same threat that it carries with them. And then the defense... Um, obviously, of the Titans, doesn't have to honor that as often. Um, but one thing that you said, they get away from what their go-to, their bread and butter, is they went, I remember it was like a third and short, and, you know, you're looking for some kind of RPO or play-action pass maybe. They go for like a power right, like some gap scheme, which is totally, you know, a play that a lot of teams could pull off, but something for the Ravens that has not been their MO throughout this season. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, um, Harbaugh and the coaching staff really put them in that position because that's not what they're known for and not what they're best at. You know, I think you see a lot during the season of them going, you know, two running backs, two tight ends, you know, pounded up the middle. And there was not much of that during that game. Lamar still had a good game, you know, like 400 yards total yeah, or something like that. Yeah, he still filled the stat book. That was, you can't argue that. Yeah. But it definitely, his impact was not felt as much as it was during a lot of those regular season games. And, you know, it's, I know it's kind of getting ahead of ourselves here on the schedule here, but... Looking at that, is the first-round buy for top seeds a disadvantage? Because right now, we haven't started talking about the Chiefs yet, but you look at that Ravens game, and the Ravens were fighting from behind. They were just barely hanging on. I don't believe and so. That, but that Chiefs team, that Chiefs team, even though they went up and scored, they were offensive madhouse, but down they were down 24 nothing. So is that first-round buy sometimes a disadvantage? Because obviously, you get the players out, you get your starters healthy, and you have time to recuperate and you know prepare, watch film, whatever, as a team. But also, especially with an offense like the Ravens, with all this misdirection and timing, a lot of that can kind of fall out of sync. And that's, I, I believe, why the Ravens weren't hitting on all cylinders. Um, I think that it's, it's not too hard to you know simulate stuff like that at practice. And I understand it's, it's nothing like a game. Um, and... You know, they've always had bye weeks, and honestly, I don't, if it was a problem, I think the NFL would have done something about it. Um, I do think that the teams came out a little slower uh, because of it, 
But if we're looking, if we're looking to make that a reason in the Ravens game, I would, I would also contribute that win to the Titans, um, mainly because they beat the Patriots and like they yeah. were rolling, and you know, the, like the Ravens had everything to lose and the Titans had everything to gain. So um, I don't really think it has much to do with that. Um, some people would beg to differ. I just think that um, both teams were maybe expecting a little bit more out of themselves, and then they came out there and, you know realized that hey this is the playoffs and you know I think the bigger factor was Lamar and a couple of the other guys sitting out week 17 yeah I think I saw a stab before the game I don't remember what the record was but it was teams who sat their starters week 17 were like barely above 500 so and then again uh, you know the Ravens went for it a lot in fourth down during the regular season I think they were eight for eight during the regular season so and in very this high game, percentage I think they were 0 for two mm-hmm. that's another thing those big key plays but I will agree with Mitch in the fact that I don't think the narrative should be on so much as the Ravens lost this game as the Titans won this game, and they did it in a dominant fashion. The Titans, like I said, are getting hot at the right time of the season, you know, in January during playoff football, you know, real football, right? That's, Henry, what, yeah. that's what they say. And, yeah, Derrick Henry obviously with another dominating performance. But the Titans really have just put together these pieces, these unsuspecting pieces, and one of them is Ryan Tannehill, the QB from Miami who's had very limited success in the league up until coming to Tennessee and my question for you guys is, could he be QB1 for Tennessee looking down the road? And I think it's, for me at least, it's all about just finding the right system because obviously he did not have the most success at Miami or other places, but when he comes to Tennessee and now they have this, you know, this great team that they're putting together right now and they've put together some solid wins against some of the best programs we've seen in a long time. Um, I think it's more of like a Fitzmagic story, if we're being honest. That's just, you know, and I'm not trying to sound like, um, I'm taking anything away from him. He's been playing great um, all season. He's been a great fantasy quarterback, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think it's more of like, yes, he does fit in their system. Um, but I think people got away from the fact that Ryan Tannehill was a good good player. He's always been a good player. He just yeah. hasn't really been somewhere where he's excelled at. But um, he's definitely stepped up, and he's most likely him and Derrick Henry are the reasons that Tennessee is doing what they're doing. I would agree with that. I'm definitely with you there. But Coach Mike Vrabel has had a huge impact um, on the coaching staff over there. And his mindset, that almost Belichick mindset, the way he runs his team and organization, and the culture that the Titans have started to establish, I also think that's key in you know, some of these big wins. You talk about dethroning the dynasty in the first round with the Patriots. Now moving on to this super, this superpower, this powerhouse uh, Baltimore team, the Ravens, with so many weapons on offense and defense. And for them to come out with that win on the road – you know, I the Titans are opening a lot of eyes, you know, at the right time, and I think they have a chance to move on, um, you know, further down the road. We'll see. But I think looking at the Ravens, one of the keys to the lack of their offense, like I said, was Mark Ingram being banged out, uh, banged up and out of the game. But I think that getting back to that, like the power scheme and the misdirection, part of that was trying to compensate for the, last, uh, the loss of Ingram. I think that was part of it because now they realize they no longer have this threat in the backfield and they're trying to look for other ways for the defense to honor their scheme, right? So for, uh, rather than them sticking to what they do with a different back and just, you know, rolling with the system and trying to have, like, you know, rely on that depth chart, they got away from their scheme. And I think that was ultimately, ultimately a big reason why they lost. Yeah, I didn't really think they had to get away from it either. You know, the no, backup running back, Gus Edwards, Yeah, I think he was averaging, like, seven-ish yards per carry. Yeah. So he was doing – you know, he's a quality backup. He's a great back, and that's, I think some of it boils down to just trust. Like, do you trust yeah. the guy at behind you to come in and do just as good of a job, if not better, than the job you're doing right now? And that's one thing that I didn't think the Ravens had, 
right? They, we had Ingram, who was obviously, I mean, pro bowler, great athlete, great running back, powerful runner. But then you bring in the next guy, and what it should happen is you just roll. And when you get that culture established and you get that depth chart established, that's did. what should happen. Right, which they did. Exactly. But it, I think that to build off that, um, not to interrupt you or anything, but to build off that, I think that the problem that um, is being overlooked is that it is young, and no matter you know, what team or you play for, if you have a young quarterback, that means you have a young team, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, your quarterback wins you games just like your head football coach does. And Lamar Jackson really hasn't been in this situation too much. And um, I know he's had success this year, but – you know, you can't replicate Tom Brady's success no. because he l knows how to do it at that level. Like Lamar Jackson hasn't played at the biggest stage yet, and he hasn't shown anybody, everybody what he can do. Um, so that obviously I think is being overlooked. But um, they definitely built up that culture. You could tell, like, it was fun to just, you know, pay attention to the Ravens. I think everyone had a little bit of a fan inside of them towards the Ravens. Um, at least I did. But, yeah. You talk about winning with a young quarterback, a team that kind of – almost set up this formula that we see now a lot in the NFL is getting a young quarterback, getting him on his rookie contract, a very talented young quarterback, and building around him. Like a Lamar Jackson is a Deshaun Watson in the Houston Texans when they got him on his rookie contract and then started to build up some weapons around him. Now, going right off of that is the Houston Texans game um, against the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. Now, the Texans started off hot. We talked about it already. 24 to nothing. And all of a sudden, you know, some Chiefs fans were leaving the game. They're like, this is our last hope. We're out of here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know how you could do that, pay for those tickets and get out of there. But that's to the extent that this game was at. But the Chiefs, absolute burst of offense. I mean, just scoring on drive after drive at will. They end up winning 51 to 31, outscore them by 20. And they score 41 unanswered points. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he was tell, uh, in a press conference, and he was talking about how somebody asked him a question along the lines of, like, uh, what did you guys talk about, you know, uh, after that, you know, first quarter, after you guys were down like 27 or something like that, and uh, or 24 nothing, and he goes, um, he said, like, along the lines of, um, like, you know, he had to go out there and do something special, and that's what they did, honestly, for having around how many unanswered? 41? 41 unanswered yeah, points. Yeah, 41 unanswered points is pretty incredible, honestly, for coming that from like behind that uh, deficit, honestly. Very impressive. And not only like for an offensive superpower that the Chiefs are, but 41 unanswered points, not only are you scoring one, obviously the other team is not scoring. So the Chiefs' defense has stepped up, led by Teron Matthew. Um, they have really stepped up, and they've made some crucial plays down the stretch. But something for me that was huge um, is a key player for the Chiefs who had a breakout game. It was Travis Kelsey with 10 receptions, 134 yards, and three touchdowns. Obviously, t uh, t Travis Kelsey is the number one red zone target for Mahomes in the Chiefs, and he was huge in this game. He had a breakout game, and when you have a guy like that, that that's, he's that consistent, and you can go to him constantly for those need downs, those third and long, third and medium, especially in the red zone, I think that's huge for the Chiefs, and obviously they utilized him very well. Definitely. Um, I think that um, Patrick Mahomes is just showing everybody what he's been doing. Um, I know that this season – this, they haven't been the center of attention, um, and for good reason, be with Lamar Jackson being in the league. Like, he's been – everyone's enjoyed watching him. But um, Kansas City is still Kansas City. Um, their their offensive mind is genius. They'll, they'll always have um, ways to score. Like, it's Kansas City. Their air raid is ridiculous. Yeah. They'll score at will whenever. So I think that really they're just showing that, 
they are a threat, and like they are something that you need to take account for in the playoffs. Going back to what you were saying about Travis Kelsey being a, a valuable red zone target for Mahomes, I think uh, tight ends in general are good for any football team. You know, as you see with last year, the Patriots had Gronkowski. Yeah. And obviously, they won the Super Bowl, and then this year, without him, their offense looked not the their usual. Especially self. in the red zone, where they really yeah. miss him the most. Yeah, and I know Travis Kelsey had all three of his touchdowns in the same quarter, I think, the second quarter. Yeah, the offensive explosion from the Chiefs. Um, talking about that tight end play, we've seen a lot more attention actually go to the tight end um, position and a lot more of the spotlight. You look at a guy like uh, Kittle from the Niners or Ertz from the Eagles. These guys are racking up a ton of receptions, a ton of receiving yards, and they have been this wave, along with Gronkowski, guys like that, that have almost revolutionized this position of tight end into being a really dual-threat person who not only can block in the passing game and run game, but also can get out there and make some moves on some DBs that are really impressive for guys that size. And that's something for me that stands out about Kelsey is when you see him run, he's so fluid and he moves very well. And then you see, like, you know, pictures of him standing next to someone else. He almost looks like, I mean, he's huge. And he look part like lineman. you might yeah you might think he's like part like a lineman or like just like gumpy like tackle or something like that. He moves so well for his size, and that's this new era of tight ends that are right. revolutionizing the position for me. Definitely, I think that's kind of like what it's becoming, um, especially because a lot of these tight ends are standing up. They're not down in a three point as much, and they're almost like a fifth receiver or a fourth receiver. But um, you can you can tell that like I look at it in terms of like how does Alabama recruit their tight ends now. Um, and like for example, last year would have been Irv Smith, yep. And he's a perfect example of somebody who can have his hand on the ground or not, and be a receiver, uh, and can block a little bit. But I mean, blo blocking tight ends like like T.J. Hawkinson with the Lions, mm -hmm. they're harder to come by, and obviously they're more rare, and people are still looking for them. But people are accepting that tight ends can just be like a bigger receiver, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think that's definitely kind of the track the position is on. But moving on from that, AFC Championship: Titans, Chiefs. Who advances to Super Bowl 54? Who are your picks and why? Chiefs. <coughs> That's all I need to say. Chiefs. <laughs> there it is. Mitch? I'm going to go with the Titans uh, just because they're rolling right now. Derrick Henry's hard to stop. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him make a little Cinderella run. Yeah? Um, it would be nice, but it does end, in my opinion. And um, Patrick Mahomes does what he does best. Patrick Mahomes comes hey, through clutch. Well, I'm afraid it's going to be a tie because I'm taking the Titans. Uh, Mike Vrabel's got them boys pumped up over there in Tennessee. It's not enough. And <laughs> I think enough. all about NFL football is when teams get hot and when teams can hit um, their stride, so to speak. And the Titans obviously right now are doing that. So I think the Titans have a very good shot to pull off this game. Do I think it's going to be a close one? Yes. But I've, if they can contain Mahomes and they need to do it consistently – um, obviously, Houston was up big, but I thought they let off the gas a little bit, obviously, because of that offensive explosion. If they can maintain Mah Mahomes consistently, a stat that I um, forgot to mention was that Mahomes actually led the Chiefs in rushing yards. He had 53 rushing yards. So he led them, obviously, in passing, but also in rushing. They did not have a very dominant rushing performance. So if they can contain him inside of the pocket and not allow him to make all these, you know, off-the-playbook plays that Mahomes is known for, the no-look passes, the deep throws, scrambling, if they can just contain him and make sure that he doesn't hurt them, you know, put the focus on other guys like Travis Kelsey and these receivers, Tyreek, you know, those guys, make them beat you. And I think the right. Titans can pull out this win. Yeah. So moving on to the NFC, um, another great set of games. The Vikings fall to the 49ers in Santa Clara, 27-10. to 10. Now, the 49ers, for me, dominated all three Real phases deal. of the game. Real deal. Um, they were well-rounded on both sides of the ball. Their special teams had some huge plays, and 
that's big. I mean, obviously it's big in the regular season football. It's huge in playoff football. When you have a fumbled snap, a bad punt, muffed this, kick, whatever, that is field position, and that is extremely valuable. So what did you guys think about this game? What were your impressions? I didn't get to see very much of this game, but uh, one thing that I know about the 49ers is that they have three good running backs, you know. Yeah, Kevin stable. Coleman, Mostert, and then uh, Matt Breida. So just their backfield is uh, as electric as their wide receivers, and I think that's good for them to have multiple options like that. Definitely. Um, when I was watching, obviously we all saw Kirk Cousins did not have a great time. No, um, he did not. Joey Bosa, Joey Bosa, I will admit I did not think Joey Bosa could do what he does, but he is a freak. Nick Bosa. Yeah. I mean, Nick Bosa. Yeah. Sorry. Pardon me. Um, and, and everyone on that defensive line is, is, is phenomenal. And, I mean, then you go look at the secondary, and you can say the same thing. Um, but, yeah, they, their offense is ridiculous. Grappolo, obviously learning from one of the best, and you can tell the guy's hungry. Um, and then you touched a little bit on Kittle, and Kittle's, I think, is awesome to watch because he's just a, a character. On he's a firecracker on that Yeah, offense. he's awesome. He's a firecracker. He's, he's got awesome. a lot of personality. And that's definitely becoming what he's known and for. And like Debo Samuel too, like he like yes. he's surprised. Right. And like, but it's also it's almost like they've been using their young guys that they've had, if that makes sense. Yeah, like they exactly. they figured out how to use their young guys, and that's kind of like why they've been successful with such a young team. I think another key point is Richard Sherman. He's playing really well. Yes, very well. And you look at Richard Sherman um, with a big interception that led to a touchdown drive. And then you talked about that running back stable that they have, the three major running backs, um, with Tevin Coleman leading the pack, over 100 yards and two touchdowns. When you have a guy like that that can have a pretty dominant performance in a game and then also bring in people behind him that are just going to carry that level of excellence, that's tough for a team to defend. That's very difficult because when you've got one running back, okay, maybe he's on for a drive and he's just hitting, he's hitting. The more carries a running back gets, he tends to see the field better right. and kind of get the pace of the game. But it's very difficult for teams to have multiple backs rotating in, rotating out. Okay, you get a series here, you get a series there. They don't develop that rhythm. So I think it's very impressive that, you know, the 49ers have these three backs that can rotate in, the chemistry is good, and they fit very well within their right. offense. Right, and I mean, I, I think that they would say that it's an advantage of theirs to say that they're not stuck with just a singular running back. Agreed. Um, and that they're versatile, like, a, example, the Titans, like, if uh, Derrick Henry were to go down, what would happen? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So exactly. it, you know, that is a weak even if point, yeah. even if um, they might not be Derrick Henry, you know, it's almost like in the NFL. I feel like that's what teams are trying to do now is build up their positions and especially something like running back. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, keeping on this topic of the ground attack from San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo only dropped back 19 times for 132 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Now you talk about a guy like. Lamar Jackson was throwing the ball almost 50 times when he's not known for that. Well, now, can he do it? Can he throw? Can he be a pocket passer? Of course. He's proven that throughout the regular season. But now, with Jimmy G, he's not going to go out there and burn by you on the edge and go running for rushing touchdowns, right? So I think it was very important. Also, this ground attack really carried them throughout the game because this, um, this air raid from the 49ers was almost non-existent. You know, only 132 yards of total passing and they really relied on that ground attack. How, is, how important is it? You hear people talk about all the time that in the playoffs, the two things that travel are your rushing and your rushing defense, and the run game controls the playoffs. Do you think this holds true with this 49ers team? I think so. If you look at the NFL um, rushing leaders, I know all five of them made the playoffs, and the five top five passing leaders didn't. So I think rushing really? is – yeah, I think so. So a really important part of the game is uh, running the ball, obviously, and I know you're talking about Jimmy G – not throwing it that much, but he didn't have to. You know, they did what they did. Right. 
Playing football is about winning the game, right. not showing up on the stat sheet. 100%. And that's, and that's what they do best, yeah, honestly. Yeah, that is. Because honestly. they might not fill up the stat sheet all the time, especially a guy like Garoppolo. But he seems to be a leader. And we talk Definitely. about um, – you know, I talk about the QB room that the Patriots had at one point with a Brady, Garoppolo, Brissette, and Brissett. Yeah. Those three right there, I think they've learned some invaluable lessons, not only from Tom Brady, but the dynasty in general. Right. The way that that football organization operates. Jimmy G, you know, it's not the 49ers are no Patriots. We've seen that. But they're very different and unique in their own way. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo has taken <sighs> the better aspects of that culture established and he's brought it to the 49ers. Now, we've heard year after year, at least for me, the 49ers are going to have a year this year. They're going to have a year. They've had the pieces. They haven't quite put it together. I think this year is the culmination of all these things for them. You know, things are starting to stack up in the right place, and they're looking really hot. Right I now. couldn't agree more with that. I think everything that you just said is, is everything that I would say is the reason for their success. Um, Grappolo is, I think, when he got that big contract, everyone was, like, a little, like, looking at it a little weary. Skeptical. Like, is, is Grappolo worth that yet? And I, I think I've been saying the same thing, that when you come from somewhere, a place that knows how to win and that's your number one job is to be a quarterback and win, you're going to obviously be successful, and that's what he's showing everybody he can do. Yeah, and for me, you know, we've talked a lot about the 49ers, but about the Vikings, they didn't show up with the same intensity as they did when they were playing the Saints. Now, that was a huge game for them. That was a huge emotional game for them, um, upsetting the Saints, which looked like a powerhouse. They looked like a buzzsaw when Vikings were going in there. Um, to New Orleans, but with that emotional letdown, you have to think that plays a factor from the Vikings once again going on the road in Santa Clara. That's a big emotional game at the Saints, and sometimes you hear people talk about how an emotional game like that can have players and organizations spent after they just really devote everything into that game, and now you have a turnaround of just a week, and you got to go play another quality team in the right. 49ers. So that's been an inconsistency with them all year about you almost wonder which team's going to show up, what Vikings are going to show up today, and not the good ones um, <laughs> when they played 49ers. In my opinion, they shouldn't even have been in that game. I, I think the game before was not more of the Vikings winning the game. It was more of the Saints losing the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't Poor even think Saints, the Vikings should have been there they in the first know. place. So we just saw what was expected, I guess. Yeah, we saw Drew Brees and the Saints offense miss out on a lot of opportunities. They did not capitalize on a lot of things that should they should have. And I almost think the Vikings were just a beneficiary of that. They, although they did make the most of their opportunities, and it was fun to see Kirk Cousins in the locker room after the game, um, I definitely would agree with you there. And I think the score doesn't really show that game. I think the 49ers dominated. I really think they do. Most and their, their defense definitely dominated, which has been a prominent storyline all year long is this 49ers defense. This storied defense is supposed to be one of the best defenses the league has ever seen. And at the beginning of the year, obviously, they were electric. They were holding, they were shutting people, not, not literally, but they were shutting people out, and they were just suffocating. Now, after film review, after weeks and weeks, a couple people, a couple teams, you know, managed to exploit um, some weaknesses of theirs. But I think what's most impressive is for them to go from this insane defense, you know, maybe have a couple weaker games, but then to turn around and adjust their scheme just ever so slightly, not get away from what they're doing in the first place, but just to adjust their scheme and get back to what they were doing best. I think that's very impressive, and I give a lot of credit to the Saints for that. I know in the middle of the season, the 49ers, they let some uh, teams score a, a fair amount of points on them. I know the Saints were one, Ravens were another one, and they end up winning a couple games by just, you know, a couple game-winning field goals from Robbie Gold, I think, is their kicker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So, Todd, speaking of game-winning field goals, let's segue right into our next game. Um, the Packers pulling out the gritty win over the Seahawks, 28-23. to You're on the topic of game-winning field goals, and I'm just sitting here watching this game and thinking about how the Lions versus the Packers this year in their two games, the Packers never led in the game. They had two last-second field goals against Rogers our Detroit Lions, and it was tough to watch. For Let's me, to watch the Packers win that game was a very difficult watch. Rogers Let's be honest. Bad. That first game against the Lions was total crap. Everyone they knows gave that. that I, mean, we, I mean, we can, yeah, we, we're allowed to say that right now yeah, for a yes. second. Because yes. that, that, I think as a sports fan, that was the most frustrating thing that has happened. Even people not Lions fans were right. all That's how that. you know it's real. Yep. We yeah. finally got some attention. Like, it doesn't happen all the time, does You see, like, they were... Uh, Everybody with like the very early, you know, those very early like look into the you know the powerhouse teams of like yeah. after the season. So I was reading, you know, everybody was talking about how the Lions are going to do really great this year. They start off, you know, they played pretty decently against Arizona Cardinal, you know, whatever. And then their next game, you know, they still had them up high. And I'm not quite sure. I can't remember which team or uh, which game it was, but after they just absolutely, I think it was the Packers game, then disappeared, gone. Like everybody just realized all their you know guesses and you know their um, you know their the previews gone they were like we made a bad choice and honestly yeah. the lions just crapped the bed this year honestly a i great think if start. they win that game they have a better season than they did that, yeah that oh, game just crumbled a hundred percent that was a huge <laughs> deal breaker for the lions but a great um i don't know if it was a graph or a chart that i saw was the fans um their like acceptance of the lions or their like enthusiasm about the lions and you see week one it's like okay there's maybe something here week well, two some. and week three and it's going up and up and up and it almost looked like a crash. stock market crash. Mm -hmm. And it just comes down and levels out near the bottom. And that is pretty much the entire summary of being a Lions fan oh, and yeah. what that feels like. But Every <laughs> outside Every of the Lions Packers, year. what were your guys' takeaways from this game? <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. From this game between the Packers and the Seahawks, what were your takeaways um, with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers pulling out the win over Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? I'm not saying anything nice about Green Bay. I'm sorry. I, don't, I do not think that that team deserves – to be where they are like I'm sorry that I sound like that but um if we're being honest I feel like the Seahawks went should have won that game like I think they're really kicking themselves in the butt for for losing something like that oh yeah but I just don't see how Green Bay is where they are and you can't tell me that Green Bay is gonna go and beat um the 49ers, the 49ers. Thank you. yeah thank you in the upcoming um, NFC like I just don't there's it to me it's just not like they're they're not comparable i think that the 49ers are a two yeah. times better team they've got two so many more good like pieces and to me it's more of just like an experienced aaron Rodgers and a new coach like i don't really know what's going yeah, on yeah so i way. i agree with you there um but i was talking to Kobe earlier today about how you know this is the 100th season of the nfl and uh, i believe the first um super bowl ever it was in like the 1960s it was the chiefs packers and uh, i was just thinking about you know that'd be kind of an interesting uh you know 100th season uh, both started, you know, and see how it would like. But the only matchup we still haven't seen yet is um, uh, Aaron Rodgers Aaron and, Mahomes. and Mahomes. We haven't seen that. You know, that was stolen from us when Mahomes got hurt. Right. And so, um, you know, as much as I don't like the Packers, but I still think it would be kind of interesting to see how that matchup goes. But, again, I don't think the Packers can really um, match up against the 49ers. So I still think that the 49ers might – take over if this uh, game was at lambo i think it'd be a different story but really? going that, over to yeah just because lambo is like just because oh, lambo right. they're gonna have right. to win the game yeah so, but i think going t down to wherever Santa Santa Clara, Santa Clara, it's yeah. gonna be tough for them 
That's going to be a very tough game. It's going to be an uphill battle for the Packers for sure. They were actually picked by a lot of people to be Super Bowl champs at the beginning of this year. So we'll see if that narrative of this almost reunion of the 100-year anniversary almost plays out like your Cinderella story like you were talking about. But something that has reinvigorated this uh, Packers team is Aaron Rodgers, who said you know, he's near the end of his career. He's acknowledged this. He said he can see hole 18. You know, this is almost like one of his last rides, trying to, you know, get his guys to, you know, rally around him, I guess, one more time and um, head coach Matt LaFleur. But it's, for me, I just, I think it's too much of an uphill battle. There's no way they beat the 49ers in week 12. The 49ers won big at home against the Cheeseheads. 37 to 8. Those Cheeseheads, they Wasn't were the not Chargers? happy about that. What was that? Was it the Chargers that they lost to? Or was that a Ooh. different game, the Packers? No, that's the, the 49ers Packers. Yeah, that was a, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they beat them during the regular season. So, uh, week so just a quick little reality check is what you're telling us. Pretty much. That's what basically I'm what you're confirming is that Green Bay played the, the, the Lions and the Bears. That's what I'm And expecting. got their four wins from yeah. that and then, you know, beat the Vikings, obviously. I will say they did have the Vikings number this year. And the Vikings, um, as inconsistent as they were, were a quality team. And the Green Bay Packers had their number this year. The Vikings had no answer for Green Bay. Um, I think that was huge. But in this game, when relating it over to some of the other games, um, there's a lot more emphasis on the passing game than in, like, the Niners and Vikings. Combined for 58 attempts for Rodgers and Wilson, both making plays out of the pocket. Now, Russell Wilson is obviously known for his ability to almost scamper away from defenders um, in that defensive line and linebacker core. But Aaron Rodgers, not so much. And so I thought, especially in his, you know, his old and feeble age, that it was, as much of a Lions fan I am, it was pretty impressive to see him move around like that, and I hadn't seen that from him in a pretty long time. I saw a funny quote from one of the Packers D-linemen about Russell Wilson. He said it was like trying to chase a chicken without a fence. Like Rocky. Like that Rocky scene. See, now Russell Wilson has that reputation. He has that reputation of you know being so elusive and almost slippery for these defensive players. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that. So that was interesting for me to see that Seahawks defense. Um, one thing I did love to see was um, Shaquem and Shaquille coming yeah, that on was that sick. joint sack, that those sick. brothers. That was a moment that obviously was huge in the NFL and that – it was huge for me, too. I just It's something you love to watch. So during that Week 12, going back to that, when the 49ers went back at home, uh, I was watching this. Um, uh, I can't remember what it was, but this guy, he was talking about how, you know, going through the, the film of what happened, and then he pauses at this one section, and then he plays it loud enough for you to hear one of the fans as uh, the Green Bay Packers are walking off, and you just hear him shout, next time, uh, make sure, you know, the varsity shows up. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, to yeah. touch a little bit on what you were saying with those quarterbacks, I think um, watching that a game like that really brings you to that like old school versus new school. Yeah. Um, Aaron Rodgers is your typical like almost like a Brett Favre like pocket passer. You know, Very like, comparable actually, and um, both under um, head coach McCarthy, which they've kind of cultivated under. Right. Um, and then now you got like your Lamar Jacksons, your Patrick Mahomes, and I think it's I love watching a football game because that's two completely different offenses. Yeah. Like even if they're running the spread, let's say, and they like to gun it. If a quarterback can run, that changes the aspect of, you know, the team. But obviously the quarterbacks that can't run, they have to be good enough to beat the quarterbacks that can run so they have things that they're better at. For example, just like making big, strong throws in the pocket. That's yeah. why they're called pocket passer. I would agree with you on that 100%. Now Sherman for uh, Devontae Adams matchup? Yes. Excited for that. Devontae, honestly, well. might tear him up. We will see. But for the last 15 minutes here, we're going to get – into the NCAA college championship game. Now, Heisman Joe and the national champion Tigers. LSU 
takes home the win. And I got four words for you. Joe Burrow and go Tigers. <laughs> because Coach Ogeron has been a favorite of mine for a while now. Um, you know, call me a bandwagon, whatever. But I've hopped on the LSU bandwagon. And I've really enjoyed, you know, seeing this team develop and Joe Burrow, um, watching his emotions and his body language on the sideline he almost just seems like he's not phased his even on demeanor, the biggest stage correct. his demeanor yeah he has a he has an awesome demeanor i think he's got that look in his eye and i think everyone in america is kind of like same thing kind of like with lamar is just starting to like fall in love with his kind of character because he's just he's hungry very and he's, and he's got that look you know he's 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 cool he's got that look and he's got the stats to back it up Definitely. uh joe burrow finished with 31 completions on 49 attempts for 463 passing yards, 58 yards on the ground as well, um, with six total touchdowns and two records for the national championship games in yards and touchdowns. Now, what also must be noted is that he broke the single-season record for touchdowns in the NCAA, which is something that, I mean, just think about all the names of the with just Moss. prolific scorers that have been playing college football. Um, for him to break that is just insane. He, he's such a calm uh, quarterback. Uh, it was like... And the before it went to halftime, it was like the second quarter, like 10 seconds left, just no timeouts, just casually, you know, walks up, calm as can be, where other quarterbacks, you know, in this position in a national championship, just, you know, you know, haphazardly taking it and running it, you know, he ran it, and he ran it well, and he, he knows how to do it, and I think that's also one of the reasons why he's, he's one of those um, Heisman candidates and winner because he, he knows how to play the game. He's calm, and that's what got him to win, basically, honestly. Um, not to really sidetrack from the, you know, the Joe Burrow train. Yeah. But um, I think what we, we kind of get away from with all these schools is the wide receiver groups. Yes. Um, I feel like it's been the year of the wide receivers. Especially for I LSU. Mean, we can go – we can talk about LSU, Alabama. We can talk about Oklahoma. We can talk about – I mean, there's receivers everywhere, and, like, the draft is going to be so loaded – with receivers and um i just think that like those lsu receivers were just like awesome they're just exciting to watch um jamar chase was just running pa past his defender like literally just running past yeah a he division exposed one. a couple clubs like defenders. just ridiculous yeah like these guys are just like freaks and and i mean i know joe burrow's joe burrow and I don't, i'm not taking anything away from joe burrow but that lsu offense in general it's just like impressive they yeah. got they've got everything they need LSU had every single weapon show up for them on that field you talk about uh, Jamar Chase he broke the previous national championship receiving yards record um, with 20 or 221 yards and two touchdowns he averaged 25 yards per catch that number right there is astounding to me because like you said this Clemson team their defense is known you know obviously for being the most athletic they're gonna suffocate you they're gonna limit your options as far as your offensive scheme and then you have a guy like Jamar Chase who goes on the outside, simple like fade, over-the-shoulder throw, whatever it is for Joe Burrow, which he did put on the money multiple times. But Jamar Chase is making these guys look amateur, these guys who are seriously some of the best athletes in the world at their age and at their level. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And there he's just running right by them. And that was insane to me. But not only Jamar Chase, you also have Justin Jefferson who contributed 106 yards of his own on nine receptions. That is huge. And so LSU really had all of these, like they said, this wide receiver core was huge for LSU. Now, Justin Jefferson actually just declared for the draft the other day, so he will not be coming back. I don't know about Jamar Chase, but, I mean, talk about a Cinderella story. Like, LSU had all the pieces come together, and they finished in great fashion. I think one of the big keys for their offense this game, you know, after they started a little slow, I was talking about this last week, about how I thought Clemson's defensive coordinator was going to have some dialed up for them, and he did at the beginning. 
Definitely, but that's the, the main person who got him out of that slump was the tight end, Thaddeus Moss, son of uh, Randy Moss. Of course. He had two touchdowns in this game, which tied his season touchdown uh, total of yeah. two. So he had two all the regular season and two in this game alone. So I think he was the big spark for their offense in this game. I would agree with you, and I'd say like big players like that, and they have those big performances, they come out on the biggest stage. Now, obviously, um, son of Randy Moss, the Hall of Fame wide receiver, Randy Moss was just ecstatic about his son you know, scoring these touchdowns. But look at the build on a guy like Moss, and you're like, how could he not put up these numbers consistently? So that's something that they're definitely going to try to get out of him down there in the bayou. Um, and I know that we're talking all about LSU and uh, they deserve all the attention, but I mean, to talk a little bit about Clemson, um, to start off that game, honestly, I was a little shocked. I was like, Clemson yeah. looks a lot more comfortable, um, which, you know, obviously because they've been there before, they should be. Um, and then, of course, LSU just did what they did after. I mean, they, what they, they they go three and out the first three possessions. Yeah, they had like possessions. negative yards for a yeah. while. So, I mean, and, and, other than that one shot that Joe Burrow took out of his own end zone that ended up getting called back, yep. they really didn't have – like Clemson's defense was like, okay, they look like they know what they're doing. There's a lot of going on, moving around. And I was like, hey, maybe this is going to be a little bit more of a game than you know we've all been anticipating. But I think Joe Burrow confirmed that he is Joe Burrow. Yeah, and, and playing out of that terrible field position for Burrow – um, Clemson was just holding them back in their own end zone. And like you said, they actually forced LSU to punt on their first three possessions. But Joe Burrow is playing literally on like his three-yard line for the first three possessions. And that Clemson defense, it seemed like they were getting pressure on every single series. They were bringing in a safety off the edge. They were stunning interior defensive linemen. Now, going back to how athletic that Clemson defense is, when you have the ability to stunt an interior defensive lineman known for just more so like if you're at an Alabama, just like clogging up holes and you know, blocking the right. line of scrimmage, when you're at Clemson and you have the ability to move like that, their defensive coordinator did a wonderful job, especially at the beginning of the game, propelling them to a 17-7 to lead over the Tigers from LSU. Um, I mean, that was just, you're right, it was fun to watch because you have this offensive powerhouse in LSU Get going up down, against a right. great defensive mind and great athletes in Clemson. And you're right, it, was, it made for a very interesting start to the game. Now, moving on, obviously LSU just kind of erupted, but I was really intrigued by the start of that game. I think you have written down here about how Clemson's defense just couldn't get it done in that end. Yeah. I think a big um, turning point for their defense was when their linebacker, James Skalski, Got mm -hmm. taken out of the game for that very controversial hit there. call that you know may or may not have been targeting, but uh, I just think that was the the final nail in the coffin. You know, if he maybe if he stays in the game, maybe they come back, maybe not. Yeah. But without him, they just look not as good. And it's not even almost. I'll agree with you. It's not even almost about his play on the field, but the leadership that he brings to that group and the linebacker core is something we see from a lot of teams at the professional and collegiate level. That linebacker core usually has a lot of those leaders in the defense. Um, you have the quarterback of the offense. Oftentimes, it's the middle linebacker or outside linebacker from the defense that is really coordinating all these moving pieces, especially with a powerhouse like Clemson. The intelligent level you have to have and the football IQ. To coordinate a defense like that on the field and be really that game manager for the defense, I think it speaks volumes about a kid like that. And it was it was sad to see him go. Um, my thing is, as I'm a I'm a both Tigers fan. I I think that both teams deserve to be in that Agreed. playoff. Um, but I was a little disappointed with Trevor Lawrence, and I understand that's kind of like the consensus going around is that Trevor Lawrence didn't do what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but I do think Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback. I think that. Um, even though he he didn't even have a touchdown on the night, 
but even though he he had a rushing touchdown. he had a rushing yeah, touchdown, but sorry. no passing no touchdowns. passing touchdown. Even though he threw for 234 yards, um, yep. especially in the beginning of the game, he he looked like he had his poise, and he does have his poise and his swag. Um, I think he walks around knowing that he is Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, he plays a little he, bit of swagger. Yeah, he just he didn't first loss in his career, right? And, career. and yeah. I think that I think that something kind of like it was almost like something hit him that like oh my like I'm not I can't beat him. You know what I'm saying? And I think that he's getting too much criticism for the fact that the, the dude's lost one game in two years. Yeah. He knows how to play football. And he's and, only a sophomore. Right. And if your quarterback is winning you football games, is there anything wrong with him? I mean, technically, he's done more than Joe Burrow has here. In my opinion, if they both came out in the draft this year, I'd take Lawrence over Burrow. I'd would you? I would not agree with that. Yeah, I don't know I think if I would I take think Lawrence over Burrow, Lawrence. but there was an NFL draft. If he cut style. his hair, maybe. I think he'd be a better <laughs> NFL quarterback. Let's say that. He you might, he be, might be a better NFL I style. Be. I think Joe Burrow is a one-hand wonder. He Fine. might be. Honestly, I, I don't 100% disagree this, with that. Their offense is, I don't know. And he would have done something last year, too, is yeah, my You opinion. don't just go from four-string to Heisman. He's like a Tim Tebow. Is, is he a Tebow? From Ohio State to Are we LSU? talking about a Tebow here? Like, when he was at Ohio no, State, I know. I don't know. When he's at Ohio State, I know he had decent quarterbacks ahead of him, like J.T. Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, but like pretty good quarterbacks. Pretty good quarterbacks. Dwayne Haskins is a quarterback for the Redskins now. Yeah. If you can't start over either of them, like what are you doing wrong? Like yeah, there's got to be something. What was that the change from that to a Heisman winning season? And it goes back to we're talking about Tannehill. Is it really all in the fit of a team <sighs> for a quarterback? And I, I know you sigh at this, but no, I think it has sure. much more to play with just the fit and the coaching style. Maybe he wasn't connecting um, at Ohio State. And coming over, Coach O obviously had a great recruiting tactic, get him 15 pounds of crawfish and get him to the bayou. But it was – just talk about that style and you know him fitting in. Obviously he's fit in because he has great chemistry with that wide receiver core and the rest of this offense. We didn't even mention running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rumbles – he – ran for 110 yards and some of his runs were absolutely punishing he was going through clemson defenders like they were nothing and keep talking about like that clemson defense who is renowned for you know being super physical and athletic and hilaire was going through him like a knife through butter yeah that's why uh, i'm big on the one of my beliefs is that lsu's the rest of lsu's offense was the main reason for their success other than Joe, just Joe Burrow. Yeah, I would, I 100% would agree with that because LSU's weapons all showed up, and they all showed up at the right time. You talk about that wide receiver core, the running back, uh, Thaddeus Moss, Joe Burrow, all the key pieces for them. We haven't even touched on the defense. Trevor Lawrence yeah. is an insane talent, and he has a lot of great talent around him. Um, you know, the running back situation, wide receiver core for Clemson, and that defense stepped up big time. Um, they have a, obviously a little bit of a different scheme than a team like Clemson, but it was very impressive to see. For sure. Yeah. Now, moving on to, like, the following years after this, do you think LSU continues this streak of excellence, or do you think I, they might fall off? Yeah. No. Um, They're having a new quarterback next year, new receivers. Blaze is they wrong. just lost their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, if I'm not wrong. Blaze is wrong. So I just don't, I don't think you can replace all of that. There's a lot of pieces season. that you yeah, need to grow. Yeah, they I'm might not, they I'm might not Blaze, be though. good. They'll yeah, be, I'm with, be decent. You know what? I'm with Blaze on that for next season. Yeah, next season. Next season. Uh, but It'll here's my thing. Off. Here's my thing. We're still talking about LSU, right? Yeah, no. We're still talking about competing with the team can always compete with Alabama. I'm just not talking yeah. about But here's what I'm talking about. Champions. But here's what I'm talking about. Their recruiting class because of what just happened. Yep. 
is not Crazy. like normal LSU recruiting no, it classes. No, even they already have ridiculous recruiting classes. So that, so that's why I say this year probably not. But you know what? They're going to get some studs, mm-hmm. and then they're going to get some studs after that, and they're still going to have really good records and still keep adding on to it. Something like this, just getting the attention to these recruits. Now these recruit like. As little as something like that might seem to a recruit, like the fact that even if that team won a national championship four years ago, I still might want to go there. One thing I noticed about LSU was just from watching football and you know signing day all the time, even in like the past few years where they haven't been as good as this year, they always have a top five recruiting class. You know, even if they don't have the best. Even if they're having before. a quote unquote down year, right. I use air quotes there because a down year for them, and they're still bringing in some of the nation's yeah. best high school players. Yeah, just one thing I noticed is they all, they're always up there in the recruiting class always. rankings. Yeah, Same so thing like, like guess, Florida. Yeah, Florida's always those, – those schools Texas that really A&M. they yeah. grab a lot of talent, and sometimes it doesn't work out, sometimes it does. But I think what it boils down to all in all is just the trust that you have in the culture and the Definitely. organization that you've established. Uh, Coach Orgeron. Coach Orgeron. And what he's <laughs> established there, how much do you trust that going down the road – and what's the lasting impact going to be on that program? But that's all the time we have today. So thank you for Go tuning in cigar, to Season 7, Episode 4 of Cheap Seats. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo, and I will see you next time.